So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Welcome back to another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast and we're back into the thick of things with this Northern Tour. That's right, the Autumn Internationals, the Spring Tour, whatever you want to call it. Um, Absolutely chock full of rugby from the weekend. And it started on Saturday. Um, We had first moments for teams like Portugal getting their first ever win over Canada. We had Ireland taking on Japan in Dublin and putting 60 on them, 60 to 5. Italy going down to New Zealand, 47 to 9. But uh, the Italians showing that they did have a little bit of fight in them. Um, Another harsh sort of loss to Tonga, 69 to 3, put to them by England. Um, Wales falling down at the last hurdle against the Springboks, 23 to 18, in a tightly fought contest at Principality. And France taking down Argentina to get their sort of um, autumn tour team back together and get a win on the board um, with all their ex- sort of ex- excited names finally back together. And then we come to Murrayfield and we, we talked about this team being a bogey team for the Wallabies, um, but Scotland, they end up getting home by 2, 15 to 13 uh, versus Australia, who, who let quite a few opportunities go and there's a bit of controversy there. But so just before we go into the Wallabies, there's obviously lots we can talk about then. Um, is there anything else in those in those other games that really surprised you or or you wanted to touch on? Um, not really. I mean, the All Blacks, I think we've seen there was a post this week saying that they've scored the most points ever by a team in a calendar year. So they're really having some big romps over teams. I think they've still got a couple of games to come, you know, one against Ireland, obviously, which will be a pretty great matchup, I think, and also France. But their games are due to get a little bit tougher from here from here on in. Um, look, France, quite a close game with Argentina. I think we're probably still to see the best of France this year, but um, always a team worth watching. And then South Africa, look, there's a, there's a huge matchup for them in the future against England. They've managed to scrape by Wales and, look, I expect them to be a team to improve and to hopefully find their feet again after a pretty disappointing rugby championship. Um, But, yeah, it's just really good to see those matchups with the Northern Hemisphere teams because I think we learn a lot more about the potential of teams leading into the World Cup in two years' time. Mm. Um, So I've been really, you know, it's been great seeing these matchups and also just having access to it through Stan has been you know, pretty refreshing in turning on at any time, given some of the horrendous times they're they're playing in the morning (laughs) here in Australia. Um, But, mate, look, just disappointed about the Wallabies, honestly. That's what's captivating me. Um, I feel like, again, we're in a situation where we had a lot of hope coming into this and perhaps we had our eyes for England too early and, you know, not took Scotland lightly, but I think, you know, 
they just seem to always step up against us and we have to bring our A game and we didn't do that. We just were a bit sloppy, again, didn't execute and discipline let us let us down in the end. Yeah, discipline, I think you're right. Like it was really disappointing to see that any time uh, the Wallabies seemed to get close to the Scottish line and even in a couple of cases, like obviously the um, yellow card being the most notable, but before that we had... Tom Wright going over in the corner only to be called back for a clean out past the ruck um, by Hunter Paisami early on in this game. We definitely looked um, looked like we had we had our moments, but I think uh, it is interesting. I think we all sort of felt like James O'Connor was going to come back into um, 10 for this team and be a sort of like-for-like substitution of what we've seen for Quaid um, and whether it's a fact of not having... Um, Karevi there as well um, with what is quite quite an inexperienced sort of backline there, but um, he he wasn't able to have quite the same sort of impact in guiding this uh, team around. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it's it's hard as a, a playmaker when you don't have that rhythm when you haven't played much this year because of injury to come back in you know, on the highest stage and perform straight away. He's going to get better with time and unfortunately don't have many games left this year for him to actually do that. But look, I think signs were there. We were a little bit lateral. Um, You know, I'd like to see James take it to the line a little bit more. Um, But look, I think we can improve enough to to be really competitive with England. I think Hunter Paisami probably needs to step up as well in terms of doing a little, little bit more of the playmaking. Um, perhaps a little bit more of the kicking as well. I think Iggy Tau was doing that well when they slotted him into first receiver and used that left foot that he has. But look, I thought we, we were dangerous in patches. We just lacked a little bit of accuracy and I think lacked mm. a bit of direction um, and looked a little bit lost out there at times, which I think was one of our strengths against, say, South Africa, where we knew what we were doing. We kept it simple. Um, Quaid, again, obviously, in those games, underplayed his hand. And I think we just, we played, you know, we played to the calculation. We played to what was best for us in a, you know, in a game that was going to be tight. I think we should have gone out like that against Scotland and probably not tried to be so expansive. So I think that's where we get into trouble. We we didn't really earn the right to go forward, which I think we talked about last Mm, week. Yeah. Um, I, I'm surprised our forwards weren't more dominant, to be honest. Like, I was surprised our scrum was an issue, even at the start before we sort of suffered yellow cards and massive sort of shuffles up in, in props, um, which was obviously an issue throughout this game. But I expected us to be dominant in that rather than um, to be an area where we were constantly getting penalised. Yeah, I expected that too. And I don't know if it's Alalatau. I think Slipper had a few harsh penalties against him, but I think he's pretty reliable. And the fact that we had to see him play both sides of the scrum shows that he's a really good asset for this team. Alalatar, I think he's lucky. He was lucky to get the start. Things fell apart around his discipline, which was unlucky, unlucky, I would say. But, you know, it does show how much we probably now rely on Taniela Tupo. And against these teams that are, are really strong scrummages, as 
Scotland's pretty decent. I wouldn't have expected them to be as good as they were, but they've showed that like once we lose that person, it can come up stuck because Angus Bell, although he's good around the park, he's a very young, like promising young prop. He does have his issues at scrum time, and I think that's becoming pretty clear. Um, so if we show any sort of weakness in other parts, if it, if Angus Bell comes on and we don't have that cohesion in the scrum already, we're not going to be competitive at all. Um, so there's very small amount of room for error once guys like that come on. Was it a disadvantage, you think, the fact that Slipper can play both sides of the scrum um, when we sort of copped a couple of injuries that he is happy to go across and play on the other side, whereas I'm sure there are props that wouldn't be comfortable um, moving across to tight head, which would surely then result in um, going to uncontested scrums, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's right. And I think they mentioned that on the telecast. Um, so that flexibility actually maybe plays into the opposition hands. And with lesser teams, maybe you'd be happy to do that Perhaps we need to be a little bit more strategic around it. But it's unlikely we're going to be in this situation, the same situation again. You know, Alatoa obviously going off. Taniela got knocked out in the period of 10 minutes that he was replacing him. Then Alatoa suffers an HIA as well. So there was a lot of disruption in the forward pack from, what, the 35-minute point onwards. Um, and, look, I don't know. Look, functionally with a scrum, I'm not across all the finer details, but perhaps having Rory Arnold come in um, and not being complete, not having that chemistry with the other players around him, maybe we suffered because of that as well. Because most of this year, our scrum's been one of our strong points. Um, mm. And that seems to have changed a little bit. And can't blame it on weight because guys like Rob Leota on the side of the scrum, Valentini, we got significant weight coming through those props and the hooker as well. Skeleton, even when he came on, didn't really seem to change much from a scrum perspective. So it's probably down to technique. So that's something we've got to address. But if Taniel is there to start this coming week, I'll feel a lot better about things. Yeah, obviously he's progressing through the HIA protocol, hopeful that he will be available versus England. You spoke about Arnold and Skelton in this game. What did you see um, from these new guys joining the squad and getting straight into uh, the 23? You add those guys to someone like Beal and to a, to a lesser extent, potentially um, Izzy Parisi getting his debut off the bench um, fairly early on as well with Jordan Batea suffering another hamstring strain. Yeah, I think Rory Arnold, he's a real asset. He built well into the game. I think he was a little bit quiet early on. Saw him do some good more work towards the end of his shift. Lineouts, look, we didn't lose a lineout. So I think from that perspective, we were pretty decent. Um, he's going to just get better. And the problem is, I guess, even with these two games to come and then they go back to their domestic season. And so we don't really get an opportunity to build cohesion with the other players that are going to be in Super Rugby. But I think equally with Skelton, probably didn't get those opportunities to carry the ball closer to the line. Um, so from an attacking perspective, I don't think we saw the best of him. And hopefully we can unlock that in the games to come. But it was good to see them in the mix. They're high-quality players. 
Um, would you, you'd have to argue those sorts of guys are just essential to kind of break the line with carries in comparison to other guys like, I think, you know, Matt Phillips is a good worker, but he's not, you know, the guy that's really going to disrupt a game with his carries. And probably similarly with Darcy Swain, I think Rodder was excellent. I'd like to really actually point that out, that I thought Rodder was everywhere. And he's really smart in the things he's doing around the paddock. So I can see why they've retained him starting and I'm glad he's back in, you know, playing for the Western Force now. Um, these guys are assets. I think Bill was particularly rusty with, you know, carrying the ball back so upright, getting held up. He looked like a lightweight out there and they were just kind of ragdolling him. So I was disappointed with that. Um, Parise, what can you say? Really good carries, um, pretty strong defence and I wouldn't be surprised if you see him on the wing this current this coming week. Um, but look, I think it's really difficult. They came in like a week, the three of them, they came in less than a week ago. So that's a huge ask to be thrust into the 23 with a few days training yeah. and expect them to really hit their straps. So I think they'll get much better. Um, you talked about Beal, obviously, yeah, did get held up a few times. I do think, though, if you don't have... Like we've, I think we've talked about this before. If you don't have someone like Karevi there or a second sort of someone who's willing to take a bit more opportunity in terms of playmaking, which I haven't seen from Hunter in the 2021 calendar year. And I don't think Kellaway's at a position where he's confident enough to do that from fullback. I think potentially it is a benefit having someone like Beal um, to help sort of change the kind of playoff a little bit so he's not always your first receiver, you get, can put two options in there sort of thing. Um, that was just one thing I noticed in terms of our attacking spacing when he came on the field and was sort of more proactive at getting himself into first receiver at times, um, which I think potentially is a benefit for us moving forward. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I'm not in favour of going back to that two playmaker model at 10 and 12. I don't think that's the way forward. But Hunter does seem, you know, slightly less competent in that area this year, which may be down to confidence and the fact that he's been out of the starting team for a little while. Um, but he probably does need to step up a little bit. I agree Bill offers that combination with James O'Connor to really alleviate some pressure and, and provide some more creativity. You might see Tate McDermott come back into the start, starting side, which could offer that as well and alleviate some pressure on Jock. But I thought Kellaway was excellent at the back. I agree that he probably didn't provide as much attacking threat um, or, you know, around creativeness with other players, but he was really, really solid at the back. So I'm not concerned with leaving him there. But you're right, in terms of a second playmaker, Bill might be a good option. And that way you're keeping Tom Wright on one wing, Kellaway on the other, and that's a pretty solid back three as well. Um, O'Connor, look, I'm not particularly concerned. I think will be better for the run out with these guys around. And you've got to remember that's a significant transition losing your 10 and 12 that have been really led to the success of the Wallabies in the latter half of the rugby championship this year. So there's going to be some teething problems moving back to other players there and giving them time to embed themselves. Now we've avoided talking about this for as long as we can, I think, but Give us your your take on the yellow card to Alan Alalatoa. Uh, for anyone that didn't see it, 
uh, in the ruck just prior to Hooper going over for a try. Uh, we had uh, a carry, I think it was by Rodder, um, who went down, placed the ball. Alan Alatoa comes to clean out over the top. Um, there's no real Scottish player over the ball, just the tackled player that's sort of lying on top of um, our ball carrier and goes down, bit of a swinging arm, but doesn't seem to make any sort of solid contact, but does graze against um, the Scottish player's chin, um, definitely on multiple angles, very little force with it, um, but uh, potentially can labelled reckless all the same. Uh, he gets, sees a yellow card, try reversed, and that's where we saw just a huge amount of truck issues um, come, as you as you mentioned before, with the, the prop sort of um, playing... Um, what started all the props sort of um, and they're, they're getting their goes at trading places. But yeah, Toby, give us your take on the yellow. Look, I think we're really in danger of scrutinising rucks in that way. Like I know it was the one leading up to the try, but if we look at every ruck in the same way, you're going to find multiple times where guys are collecting each other around the head or on the head directly. So I think this is really unlucky again from a Wallabies perspective. Look, Alan Alatoa needs to have good technique in his clean-out. But this was so incidental. Like, it was a glancing contact. I don't think there was any intent in it whatsoever. He didn't get in with his shoulder or anything. Um, I think letter of the law, maybe it is still a yellow. You know, direct contact to the head. But I think we need to show some discretion here. And the fact that we lost the try out of it, I think is punishment enough. So I think that's incredibly harsh to be giving you yellow for that sort of action. They didn't look at the, the tackle on Rodder leading up to that, like we discussed earlier before we came on the pod, you know, mm-hmm. and, and also the contact to Hooper around the face after he scored the try. So there were multiple things that didn't go our way in that circumstance. I think Point, he understood the significance of the decision and, and how fine the margins were but I still think he got it wrong and like I said it changed the game in so many different aspects um, flowing through from that Um, so yeah look again it's another instance of the Wallabies getting slightly unlucky yeah and by the you know the final score 15-13 that try would have made all the difference I think yeah Yeah. so you know my takeaway is Poit got it wrong. I think Alalatoa still needs to be a bit more accurate in what he's doing. Yeah, exactly. And I Don't think World Rugby, World Rugby just needs to have a chat to these referees and, you know, make them less like robots almost. They need to play what's in, have a look at what's in front of them and be reasonable. And I, I think mm-hmm. that's what's lacking sometimes in these decisions. Yeah, I think you're right. And obviously they're not going to have a chat to point now with that being his final match. Um, But just the fact, as you say, they didn't even sort of look at the tackle prior to that, all the contact afterwards. They sort of were just focused at this one incident. Even if they'd gone through those three things and cleared the other two and then had the same decision, I would have felt better about it. But it just felt like they decided to ignore two different, two other parts and just focus on, um, this one sort of area, which um, is a bit that that feels a bit frustrating. All credit to Scotland, though. They obviously came out. Um, they had a bit of a plan 
they executed well throughout this game, um, despite overall like some good um, defense from the Wallabies for the most part, uh, especially in our Mall's um, defense. They had to get very clever to, to get over with Hamish Watson, um, who him along with um, back row compatriots, um, Jamie Ritchie, uh, were immense in this. And um, debutante off the bench, uh, number 16, who had a bit of a flying um, try to himself, and that's Ashman. Um, you put those sort of dynamic forwards together with the stalwarts of Stuart Hogg and Finn Russell, who, again, um, his ability to just uh, find gaps and go to the line and make those late offloads. Like, he almost looks a little bit Sonny Bill-esque in terms of managing to get his arms free um, and free up sort of extra runners outside him every time he takes on the line. Yeah, I don't think you can fault Scotland really in this. I still think if we played to our potential, we would have won the game, but Scotland are a team on the rise and they deserve that victory in, in front of a full house at Murrayfield. It's pretty hard to get on top of them. And I think that they're, they're playing some more attractive footy now. You know, even guys like Van der Merwe, um, you know, like there's some real potential in this team when they're all fit and firing. And they, were, they played it smart. I think that's something that's probably not valued enough. They, they played to their strengths. They disrupted us. They were aggressive in the right parts of the game. And I think they threw us off. And that's been a story of a lot of the matchups that we've seen since that Newcastle game in, what was it, 2011, 2012. They've had a really good way of disrupting us um, in different ways, depending on the conditions. Um, I just think, again, probably we were our own worst enemy. But I'm, I'm glad to see Scotland's not a team that's going to struggle to score points. It's not a team really that's going to bore you with their play. I think they're really a team that could be a threat to other major nations in the next couple of years because they've got some good coaching. They seem to have a more settled squad now. Mm. And it seems as though they're building. Um, so I'm, I'm really encouraged by what I'm seeing from them. Um, it's, yeah, it's just refreshing to see that they're going to be, I guess, placed up there with teams like Ireland, with teams like Wales. I think England at their peak are probably still a notch above, but there's a lot of parity across world rugby at the moment, even with the top eight to 10 teams. So that makes it exciting because you really go into a match thinking, well, you've got to be on form today or you could just lose the game. And that keeps things, I think, in the balance, which is nice from a, a viewer's perspective. Absolutely. And looking forward, like this next sort of two weeks of matches, there's so many great matchups, um, fully showing off that parity that you're just talking about as well. Uh, so going forward, we have this weekend, Portugal, as I mentioned, got their first win over Canada, playing Japan. Japan, who do need to show a little bit more. We keep talking about their promise and they show up a little bit when they're at home, like when we played them a couple of weeks ago. But on the road, they still maybe struggle a little bit. Um, and performances copping 60 to Ireland, who is obviously a, a good team, but um, they want to show a little bit more strength here as well. So a, a good outing versus Portugal is needed. Scotland being at home versus the box this week as well. Who the box, they looked like they were struggling a little bit in parts versus Wales. And it could have well have been, if not for pitch invaders of drunken Welsh fans, 
um, that Wales might have been in front going into the end of this and put a lot of pressure on um, the Springboks there. Um, so that'll be an entertaining game, I think, up at Murrayfield, especially if, if what we've seen was the Wallabies forwards seem to not be able to dominate the Scottish forwards, which is, but they were able to dominate the Springboks forwards. So if Scotland's pack can stand up to the box, then um, I think their backs have more than enough uh, talent to run up some points. So very entertaining game, I think, there. Italy's hosting Argentina. Argentina just needs, they need a win um, in this year. They just need something to play around. They did play too badly against France, um, but obviously not able to get the win over the weekend. Ireland, New Zealand, and even if Ireland decide to wear those weird purple jerseys where I don't know where that came from this weekend, um, I very much look forward to them coming up against New Zealand. New Zealand sent out the SOS to Aaron Smith um, over uh, this week with uh, more injury concerns to Brad Weber, um, but be very keen to see the likes of James Lowe, who cemented himself in the Irish um, 15 now, coming up against his old sort of countrymen, all his fellow Chiefs players, especially in the like of um, people like potentially Weber, um, Damien McKenzie, uh, Sam Kane, if he's up there as well. Um, and then there's probably England and Australia who we're thinking about so much. Um, we didn't mention it going back, but uh, we had Farrell ruled out of that game versus Tonga with a positive COVID test, which seems to be in a false positive. Um, so he will be available with that. Interestingly, Eddie Jones didn't go with uh, Marcus Smith um, coming into that game, but went with Furbank, which... I feel like I feel like Eddie Jones must be a bit scared of what what um, Mark Smith can do because he comes on late in that game and he's just sort of electric still. Um, he just seems to be much more in that vein of a Finn Russell um, type sort of player, a Richie Moanga type player. But I don't know if Eddie Jones is willing to mould his squad um, to change towards that sort of idea of run first, kick second um, from what his his squad has been doing at the moment, but. First off, Toby, for this Wallabies game, do you think there's any changes that aren't going to be enforced by injury that Rennie will be making here? Um, look, interesting. I I feel like the 23 is going to be trotted out pretty similarly if we discount injuries. Um, yeah, it's hard to say because I think it all kind of there, there might be some more changes if, say, Taniella's out. Um, I don't – I mean, Alata will probably just start again, right? And then yeah. you're looking I at – I mean, they've sent out the SOS to Ollie Hoskins, uh, old sort of Western Force um, prop that's been playing for the London Irish, uh, 28-year-old. Um, he's come into the swap squad now as cover, so they, there must be a slight concern that maybe they are going to be short here. Because who else do they have? Tom Robertson. He's a loose head. And then who's the other tight end in this time? Well, there's no, no one else. I don't believe we have anyone else. Case. I don't think Pone found a Yeah, Pone's back in Melbourne, I think, because of injury. He never really was right. Um, who else was floating around? There's probably no one else, really. So that is a concern from my perspective, and that may have flow-on effects in the way they pick the team. Um, look, I'd be retaining Rodder, I think, 
playing at hooker has done enough. He's been pretty solid and pretty abundant around the park. Like I'm seeing him involved in a lot of stuff. He's making his tackles. He's been better with his discipline. Um, whether Tolu comes onto the bench, maybe that could be an option. Um, thought that was my thought, I think. Although Connell's done nothing wrong, really. It's just no. that maybe that next tier of player that we're going to need against England, who coincidentally will probably have an Australian off their bench, Nick Dolly um, out of Sydney, who's been blooded by Eddie Jones. Um, I think he's had a cap, or maybe he will be blooded, but he'll be in the mix probably. Um, but if from an Australian perspective, you'd have to think Rory Arnold and Skelton will be there, whether they swap around in terms of starting roles. I think both of those will probably be in the 23. Rob Leota. Hmm, Got his very first, first Wallaby try. That try was excellent by him, that line he was running, um, yeah. allowing... Uh, who was it? A Connor Nick to White, put him through the gap? Oh, Nick White. White yeah. So, look, hard to fault Leota. He, he does he have more of an impact than Valentini in this game. Like, yeah. I saw him more than I saw Big Val. So, perhaps he gets retained. Don't think you're going to change who for Valentini. Like I said before, Tate McDermott might come in at nine to offer a little bit more threat. Yeah, were well, you uh, a bit disappointed with Nick White's performance? Yeah, look, I like what he brings in terms of he disrupts the opposition. Um, he's always oh, in the cool. thick of it. There's a lot of niggle, and I think you need that against, particularly against the Northern Hemisphere teams that tend to give it back. Mm. So he's a real competitor. But oh, just to, just a sidebar, did you see him get a high five off Roman Point in the yeah. after the scrum after yeah. he'd just been getting a talking to, and then he I think it was, I think it was a room. low five. I think it was, it was a, a low, low five. five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was. That's the thing, look, the referees, even though he can maybe get a, you know, get a bit carried away in, in moments, I think they respect him for his competitive nature and he's, he's a good bloke off the field. So people don't forget that and he's had a fair bit of time up there in the Northern Hemisphere with Exeter, so probably knows a fair few of the players too. Um, but Tate, look, yeah, Nick White's passing game probably wasn't quite up to standard. Um, we didn't see that much box kicking either. And maybe Tate is a guy that can really disrupt some of the play around the rough with his attacking snipes and, um, you know, maybe we give him an opportunity to combine with Jock and get that Reds combination going. But otherwise, look, I expect Hunter and Nicky Tao to be in the centres. I expect Tom Wright, who showed some, you know, some good glimpses there, I think, with some of his play to remain on one wing. And then it's probably down to who do you prefer at fullback? You know, is, is Kirtley Bill the ideal option and Kellaway gets pushed to the wing? Either way, Kellaway is going to be there. But it's, you know, do we replace Dal, uh, sorry, Patea with Dalguno or do we trust Izzy Parisi to start on the wing? Yeah. So there's, that's probably the only real question mark in terms of selection. Um, but look, feel bad for Patea. He's really struggling to string a full game together. And we know that he's been working on his mechanics, but something's still not <clears throat> something's still not right with him. So mm. unfortunate for him to miss out, but luckily we've got some pretty um, good replacements that can that can slot in. So, mm. but like I said, I don't I don't expect too many changes. 
in my mind, I'd like to think about, you know, what's the best team? I think we're pretty close to it with the stocks that we have. I think Karevi would be a huge um, coup for us if he was playing, but not to be. And yeah, yeah. if Manu Tuolangi selected at 12 for England, I think that's going to be a huge challenge for our centres to, to deal with him, um, given his size and power in that midfield. Yeah, so two years pretty much since he's managed to make an appearance for England. Um, obviously, another career that's been um, curved by injury sort of relentlessly, it seems. But obviously got the start on the weekend. And what I did notice, though, Tuolangi and obviously Henry Slade in the centres are fairly experienced um, veterans of sort of elite-level rugby, if not internationals themselves. Um but the back three, they've got some new names like Radwan and Stewart is on one wing and at the fullback, Stewart. Um, so it's not like they're brooming with huge amounts of experience down there. That there's, there's definitely areas where I think we can exploit that team. But once again, it almost comes down to getting on top of them in the forward pack. Like you need to be able to shut down what Etoje and Courtney Lords can do as both and Tom Curry and Underhill um, with their sort of ability to influence and upset us at the ruck time if you can sort of nullify that with some good defense and also manage your set piece and in particular i guess i want to see the scrum take a step forward um, to become that weapon again for us then that goes a long way i think um to once again putting us in a position where we can you know cause some waves and maybe make an upset here yeah, that sets the platform, particularly against England. We've been bullied before in the scrum against them in numerous years in the Northern Hemisphere particularly. Like I said before, I think the, the line-out for us has been pretty solid and hopefully that continues. But this England team's a little bit in transition in terms of finding their best 15. There's been a bit of old, you know, out with the old, in with the new. And so I think even some of the, the players that used to be selected have come out and talked about how they're not happy with Eddie Jones and and there's been some mutterings in the media around you know his position and will he hold on to the next World Cup um, but all it takes is a couple of good wins by them against top tier opposition and he'll be you know sitting pretty again so England huge pool of players to pick from um, like I said there's going to be some inexperience there and like you pointed out Arch I think that's something we need to target but it's difficult with, with us because we've got a few vulnerabilities there in terms of players that haven't played a huge amount of international rugby. And Eddie Jones will know how to manipulate that as well. So it's going to be a fascinating battle, I think. And that's why I think even, you know, James O'Connor needs to probably take more ownership in this game. Hooper's been excellent, but the, the veterans in the team really do need to step up. And Quaid may... No, no, not quite. Sorry, Beal may actually play a pretty strong hand in this, hopefully. If we can see the best of him, I think that'll go a long way to us getting the victory. Mm. But a huge challenge. And there's a lot of doubters out there. You know, even Mertens came came out after the game and said, look, if we the Wallabies play like that, England's going to put 40 points on us. You know, like they're going to destroy us. Um, I don't think we're we're going to play a similar game to what we did against Scotland, I think we'll tighten things up. But it is a huge challenge at Twickenham with a full crowd again. You know, like this is very different to the conditions we've been playing in in Australia for the last two years with, you know, sometimes no crowds or smaller crowds. 
it's a huge cauldron up there in the northern hemisphere. Murrayfield showed that Twickenham will be the same, and then Principality as well. So I think we've got to keep our nerve and um, you know just really chip away. I don't think there's sometimes I think we get ahead of ourselves and try and score all these points at once. We just need to play the game, chip away, do the do the basics right. I think that's what we did against South Africa so well. And I think if we go back to that, we'll have a really good shot against England. Yeah. It's it's really hard um, actually realising that we haven't had a victory over England since the 2015 World Cup, uh, where we obviously played them in that pool of death um, and managed to beat them in Wales. Um, and since then, they've had the three-test uh, tour to Australia which they've won all three. We've had multiple games at Twickenham um, and the last no, sort of. Yeah, sorry. I, I think, uh, yeah, just under Eddie Jones, they haven't yeah. lost against us. So, you know, obviously 2015 was heartbreaking for them in their, their home country, losing that that pool game to, to us that actually effectively kept them out of the quarterfinals. Mm. But since then, they've really had the wood over us. And I've seen a lot of those games live and I can tell you it's, it's been eternally frustrating. It's hard, yeah, absolutely. If you had to make a tip, mate, would you would you be able to tip Australia in this one, or do you think the the safe money is still probably uh, more likely to see an English victory here? Yeah, look, difficult to pick Australia on English soil. Um, they may surprise us. Like I thought, we had no chance against the Springboks coming in. So they've they've been a team that's really hard to pick this year. I think England are probably the safe bet, say England by seven to ten points. But I hope the Wallabies can surprise us mm-hmm. because um, that would be huge after such a long period of, of no wins against them. Um, we really need a good performance. Absolutely. Um, Monday morning sees a couple other games with France hosting Georgia. Um, and Wales hosting Fiji there as well. Um, out of the other games, uh, Tobes, any which one are you most looking forward to? Is it is it New Zealand Ireland or is it the box going up to Murrayfield in Scotland? Um, what what what's the other one that tickles your fancy? Yeah, I think Ireland New Zealand's always a pretty good game, and we've seen them upset New Zealand in Chicago back a few years ago. Um, so I think that'll be a reasonably competitive game, although with the firepower New Zealand has and the flow they have at the moment, I expect them to still win the game. South Africa, Scotland, I think will be a bit of a battle of attrition up there. Those Scottish forwards will be right in the face of their South African counterparts. And, you know, we'd like to see South Africa go back to that really expansive try-scoring game that we know they can actually um, put forward. But, Scotland have a way of frustrating and squeezing you out of the game and you'd have to think they'll be riding high after a, a pretty emotional victory against the Wallabies. So I think yeah. that, that, again, will be a pretty pretty interesting and fiery matchup. Mm. Argentina, look, let's just hope they get over Italy because if they don't, that's pretty fatal, I think, for, for Creevy. Oh. Um, oh, not Creevy, sorry. Ledesma. Ledesma. One and the same, I'm sure, yeah. Um, Leo's been kind enough to send through his tips since he couldn't join us today, um, but he's taking South Africa by eight. He still thinks up at Murrayfield. Argentina only by seven against Italy, showing a bit of disrespect to the Pumas there, I think, though Italy did have a little bit of surprise 
um, especially with exciting winger Yuani um, down there versus the All Blacks over the weekend. All Blacks he's taking by 20 over Ireland and England he's tipping, giving a 10-point margin to victory over the Wallabies there as well. Um, I think definitely going with the, the safe money um, picks there for the most part. I do. I still think that most likely upset of the weekend is probably that Scotland Springboks game, though. Yeah, I think so. Look, Scotland teams tend to underrate them, and I think in the past I've done that as well. I've kind of learned my lesson because of the results. But South Africa, you know, they've got a big game. What is it next weekend coming up against England? Um, I think it's next weekend. Yeah, it so is. That's a huge matchup for them. You've got to hope they don't overlook Scotland because that's easy, I think, to do. Um, but again, the fact they beat Australia probably helps South Africa be wary. Um, I'd still be, look, I think it's still be taking South Africa, but I think Scotland will surprise some people in the next 24 months. Mm. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about their Six Nations chances coming up. Um, but you did highlight the week after just probably even gets better with England, South Africa, Wales, Australia, and France, um, New Zealand. Just a quick conversation about France. Um, they've shifted a little bit um, from what they previously had. Obviously, Dupont's still there at um, nine. They have Jalibert playing 10 and Entomac playing 12. So they're two sort of expansive and exciting 10s. Um, playing 10-12 now in a bit of a combo, which Alibert was still looking really good um, in that game against the Pumas. We didn't see so much of Entomac um, down there as well, but um, some very exciting um, rugby that they are going to play. And Jaminet, who was a star for the French first Australia early in the year, um, has now emerged and held on to his spot as the 15 there and sort of pinpoint sharpshooter for them as well. So, a lot of exciting players sort of hanging around that French team. I, I definitely would recommend um, making sure going and having a bit of watch of that um, French-Argentina game or failing that, making sure that you are um, marking down in the diary the All Blacks-France game because I think that's going to be great in two weeks. Yeah, some really good rugby. And look, I'll be sad to see the season over. I think there's obviously Northern Hemisphere keeps going and can always tune into that. but. It's been a, a pretty emotional year with the Wallabies, you know, some highs, some lows, and we're now in a period where it could define our season this next two games because, you know, coming into this too, I thought, you know, we had the potential to, to win four from four the moment we're one and one. Um, so, look, two huge opponents coming up for the Wallabies and the entertainment doesn't stop. They're going to be, um, yeah, they're going to be fired up and it's always such a historic clash when you take on England. Just some quick other headlines from around. Um, we did have some women's rugby going on over the weekend with the, the English women's um, crushing New Zealand 56 to 15 um, over there in Twickenham as well, which was um, surprising to see. Um, we had to say farewell to Dane Haylett Petty, who called time on his uh, rugby career. Uh, this is on the background, unfortunately, of that concussion history, um, which we sort of highlighted a little bit right at the start of the year that. Um, he was putting himself in a little bit of danger, so I think probably the right call there. 
Um, and then interestingly, uh, a name that people would bandied around as an All Blacks future head coach, Joe Schmidt, um, has taken the same route as Warren Gatlin and he signed on with a super rugby team, not as the head coach, but as the assistant coach of the Auckland Blues. Um, pretty surprising that the guy taking, uh, after having such success with Ireland, taking a couple of years away from the coaching role and coming back to this position. Yeah, and I don't know if there's any sort of threat to Liam McDonald if things don't go well in 2022, but surprised the Blues actually want him in the mix. Um, I know there's there's obviously a lot of good IP from the Northern Hemisphere coming back there and equally with Gatlin, but we've seen that Gatlin's had his struggles, you know, coming back to coach a super rugby team and Schmidt, you'd almost say there's maybe too many cooks there potentially spoiling the broth. Mm. Um, not sure if it's needed, particularly with the way that the Blues were playing this year, but, you know, we'll see. Maybe he still see has those... It, yeah. Maybe he still has those aspirations to coach the All Blacks. I think it's a pretty um, it's a pretty crowded area at the moment with, um, obviously, Scott Robbie, Scotty Robertson there, Warren Gatlin in the mix, Joe Schmidt, and the fact that, um, you know, Ian Foster's signed on till the next World Cup now, you know, they've got a bit of waiting to do as well. Yeah, absolutely. That pretty much wraps it up this week. Uh, guys, thank you again for tuning in. Um, we will be back once again next week uh, to wrap up another week of this Autumn Test Series um, with, I'm sure, some absolutely fantastic, interesting rugby um, to see over the weekend. Make sure you get in there and if you're a bit of a night owl staying up watching some of these games, otherwise, as Toby mentioned before, you can get all those replays, highlights or minis um, on stand. Uh, not a sponsor, but really love what they're, how much they're bringing sort of the access of rugby um, back to us all at the moment as well. Otherwise, we'll try and keep you up to date with any other news uh, with through our socials at Running Rugby Podcast on Instagram or at Running Rugby Pod on Twitter and just make sure you're liking and subscribing, following us there and subscribing to the podcast, guys. Um, Tobes, thanks for joining me. We're doing we're doing in the morning recording for once in a while. It's been a bit uh, harder to wake up to do it, but thanks for joining me, brother. No worries, mate. You, well, you just did a night shift, so I can hardly complain. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm definitely going to go get some... Uh, get a nap into me anyway but that's all right it's good to be on nights at the moment because it means that I'll be perfectly suited to wake up and watch these games over the weekend a few more days to wait yet though but until then we'll keep on running run